I'm, uh, I'm a little bit nervous the sermon's going to really screw that up. That was really good. Uh, let's just close in prayer. We'll see you guys next Sunday. No, I'm, I'm going to preach. I worked too hard on this one. So uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have a title. By the way, it's exciting to see you guys here. I'm really excited about the fact that every one of you will be here next Sunday. That's going to be awesome. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Right. Okay. So um, the title this week for your Easter sermon, I don't think you've probably ever seen one like this. It's a little bit controversial, maybe, maybe not. Jesus wasn't a victim. This is the concept that I want to get home today because this week as I was studying and getting ready, actually, I've been thinking about this sermon for about a month and a half, but this week it really hit home. Uh, this passage, uh, just read it. Uh, I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. This is Jesus talking. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge or authority I have received from my Father. So let me explain the provocative title. I had a paradigm shift this week about Easter as I was preparing this sermon. I mean, Holy Week is a time that we remember and we reflect on the unjust, horrific, brutal suffering that Jesus endured for our sin. But the text I chose kept popping out at me, this concept in my head. Jesus wasn't a victim. I mean, how can a sovereign God who has the authority to give his life, oh, and by the way, to take it back, how could he be a victim? So I Googled, just, you know, out of curiosity, I Googled Jesus wasn't a victim. And all I found when I Googled that were ways that Jesus was a victim. And they were mostly political statements like abuse or the death penalty or torture or religion or even some, believe it or not, some hashtag him too references. It was kind of strange. And dozens of ways that people tried to tie the cross and Holy Week and the suffering of Jesus to this idea of victimhood. But I kept revisiting this verse in my personal time with God all week over and over again. And it forced me to, hold, to rethink Holy Week and Easter altogether. So kind of what we do at Grace Life, we go through three, every sermon has three applications. There's a historical application. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then what about God? What did he do? That's a theology of what, why and how did he do it? And then we have the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do? So let's talk about the history of today's story. The death of Jesus was a political hot potato. It was a job that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted, everybody involved in leadership and authority at the time wanted Jesus off the scene. I mean, first of all, the temple leadership wanted him gone because they wanted to preserve status quo. They had a delicate political balance, the temple did, and a working agreement between them and the Roman Empire. They lived in fear, as a matter of fact, of Rome coming and saying, okay, enough of this temple stuff. And they were afraid of Rome coming in and eradicating the whole temple system. They had an agreement in place that if order was kept and they submitted to Roman authority, particularly the idea of taxation, they could continue in place with their religious ceremonies. But Jesus posed a threat to the institution 
and the wealth and power that the temple system had come to provide for many, not just in Jewish circles, but in Roman circles as well. It was a money-making machine. And people were beginning to follow Jesus in massive numbers. And Palm Sunday, the week before, was a great example of that. He was causing disruptions. He was challenging the temple in all of its corruption. Therefore, the temple leadership wanted Jesus dead. And we can understand that. But the Roman authorities wanted peace and order. Rome would be just fine with getting rid of someone like Jesus who's making trouble. Just get rid of this distraction before it gets out of hand. And why? They didn't want to risk the, the Roman authorities there, which would be Pilate, the Roman governor, and Herod, the king, the Jewish king of Israel right there, these two people. They did not want to invite the scrutiny of Rome. So the faster they could get rid of this kind of disturbance, the better. So that's a job that everybody wanted done. But it was also a job that nobody wanted to do. I mean, the temple didn't want to do it. I'm going to read this passage to you, Matthew 27, verse 1 and 2. So when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. See, they could not risk alienating all the Jews in Jerusalem, who were important, by the way, to their power structure. They did not want to alienate them. Or did they not want to alienate the powers of Rome that were in the city? Politically, they needed to pass the buck of Jesus being crucified to Rome since most Jews, including those following Jesus, despised Rome anyway. I mean, it just made political sense, right? Make Rome the bad guy. They don't like them anyway, but they're not going to do anything about it because they got big weapons. I mean, why take the chance of alienating this large following? Let Rome take the heat. I mean, Rome crucified people all the time. What's one more? But you know what? Rome didn't want to do it either. In Luke 23, verses 13 to 16, we see that passage. And Herod says, look, I'll just read it to you. Pilate called together all the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges you brought against him. Neither did Herod. For he sent, us back to, he sent him back to us. Look, nothing has been done deserving of death by him. I'll therefore just punish him and release him. So nobody wanted to do this job that everybody wanted done. It's kind of like donuts and coffee on Sunday morning. <laughs> so let's look at the theology of this. I want to talk about the brilliant flawlessness of Holy Week. See, Jesus was not only in charge of giving his life, but also of how and who and when. The whole week, Jesus was in complete, total control and was never surprised by anything that happened, by any of the events that took place. 
In this passage in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when it was the perfect moment, God sent forth his son, the perfect person, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Everything about the Holy Week was meticulously planned. The time, the place, the politics, the people, all of it lined up at once congruently for this redemptive event. It all was sovereignly working together to make Jesus the perfect, willing, all-powerful, sovereign Lamb of God. I mean, really, he controlled everything. He controlled the personal events. Do you remember he predicted Judas? You're going to betray me for silver? Peter, you're going to deny me three times? He predicted the personal side of his tragedy. His betrayal. He predicted it all. He knew it was coming. He even predicted and Peter said, never. I'm, not be, I'm never going to deny you. I'm Peter. He said, you'll deny me three times. <clears throat> and he told Judas, what you're going to do, just go do it right now. He controlled the political events. I mean, of his condemnation, because the Jews didn't want to condemn him. And the Romans didn't want to condemn him. But in reality, ironically, this is what's so fascinating. The Romans were the law of the time. Ironically, Rome declares him without fault, making him the perfect, blameless Lamb of God. That's fascinating to me. Before the Jews, who actually are the ones that finally sentenced him to death, the Romans said he's innocent. He had to be, to be the Lamb of God. Not only did he control the personal events, not only did he control the political events, he controlled his execution. It's more irony, by the way, that the sacrifice that was supposed to be perfect and blameless, I find no fault in this man, for a sacrifice to work, the priest is the one who had to do it. As a matter of fact, I can make a case to you that the priest fulfilled their role perfectly, even though they didn't want to. To do it. In John eleven forty nine 49 to 42, here's what the passage says. But one of them, this is before all this happened, right? This is while they're still scheming. But one of them, Caiaphas, who happened to be the high priest that year, ironic, isn't it? Said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you. Get what Caiaphas, the high priest, says. It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, he was thinking, you know what, just kill Jesus so the Romans don't kill us all. But look what the next part of the passage says. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the people. And not only the nation only, but to also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Caiaphas, the high priest, makes a prophecy, a prediction he doesn't even realize is biblical. And just like with us, Ephesians 2.9, which says he prepared good works beforehand that we trip over, God worked in spite of them. It was a good work. And this is a lot of times people kind of, you know, well, the Jews killed you. It was actually a good work that Caiaphas tripped over. 
Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? It gets even better. Matthew 27, verses 22 to 26. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted even more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And you know what the people answered? His blood be on us and on our children. Thank God. No, thank God, because it had, it, had it not been, none of us would ever have salvation. So that's the theolo theological side. Complete control. Every moment, every step, the personal, the political, the execution. He was in charge. Nothing surprised him. As a matter of fact, he set it all up. So let's talk about the devotional side of this. What about us on this Easter Sunday? I want to talk about the humanity of victimhood. Victimhood is basically characterized by someone having no power to escape unfair circumstances. That's kind of like what victimhood is. And we have a natural tendency. <clears throat> because victimhood, if you think about it, is a distinctively human phenomenon. It's a human emotion. Feelings and positions of victimhood are distinctively human. For example, animals are victimized all the time, but they don't feel like victims, even though they are. But humans, unlike any other creation, can feel and see and determine victimhood. And try as we may, victimhood is a big part of being human, all sides of it. I mean, we naturally tend to divine the roles of oppressor and victim in conflicts, both personal and in the lives of others. And it can be out of a sincere desire to seek justice or restitution, to justify anger or corrective actions in any one of us facing the weak Jesus did. I would imagine we would have declared ourselves as victims and rightfully so. I mean, if it had been me, it would have turned out very differently. Been lots of smitten priests and dead Romans, if you know what I mean. If I were Jesus with the power of a sovereign God, nobody's going to be crucifying me, pal. Also, we subconsciously, as Christians, I think, judge the players of this drama. In arrogance, frankly, thinking that we would have handled Jesus differently. No, you wouldn't. At least I hope you wouldn't. Because we needed the perfect lamb to be sacrificed for our sins. So we arrogantly think, oh, I can't believe what the priest did. I can't believe what the Romans did. My response this week shifted to, thank God the priest did that. Thank God the Romans did what they did. Every step of the way. So that's our natural tendency. But now I want to talk about his sovereign power. He was a sovereign God in control of every moment. Again, how can a sovereign, all-powerful creator of the universe be a victim in any way? He had complete control of every event, every action, every deed, and each individual group and person involved in the drama. 
I would imagine this was the greatest temptation of his human life was to call the whole thing off, which he had done at other times before when they wanted him dead. And the scripture says he escaped because it wasn't the right time. The fullness of time had not come. The right people weren't in place. But instead, voluntarily suffering and total control of the events of that week display his remarkable power over his own humanity. His own humanity would have a natural tendency to declare victimhood. But he had sovereign and powerful control over it. And at the same time, he had control of the political world around him. From his prediction of Peter and Judas, to his entry on Palm Sunday, to Pilate's declaration of his innocence, to arranging the responsibility of, of his crucifixion through Caiaphas, the high priest, and most importantly, his incredible power over the grave. He brilliantly orchestrated everything to fall in line with his plan. No one takes my life unless I give it. His love for us, his plan to save us, and biblical prophecy, all of it was in his complete control. As a matter of fact, in his sovereign suffering, he was the miraculous antithesis of victimhood. He was Jehovah God. He turned victimhood on its head. If anybody could ever have been in a right humanly to say, I am an unjust victim in this, it was Jesus. But he had complete control in his sovereign suffering. Jehovah God, willfully suffering and controlling the events of who and how and why he would die. See, for me, <clears throat> this is kind of where it got hit, hit me home this week. I always felt that I needed to see the cross through lament and personal responsibility for Easter to have its full effect on my heart. You ever been there? Like, I got to be really somber. It's Good Friday. It's Saturday before Easter. Jesus is in the grave. He just got beaten and betrayed. And I got to be lamenting. He died for my sin. And there is certainly reflective value in that. And I would never want us to get rid of that concept in our worship of our Savior. But why should joy be limited to that during Holy Week? I realized this week that a focus only on Jesus as a victim of my sin. Let me say that again. The focus of Jesus only as a victim of my sin robs us of part of the joy of Holy Week. In fact, and I wrote this down because I wanted to say it right. In fact, the miracle of his power and explicit control over Holy Week makes the resurrection more believable. Well, of course, if a guy could control all that, he could also control the grave. It actually makes less us to think he didn't have control over anything except the grave. He had control over all of it. And it makes, when you look at the Holy Week in the eyes of a sovereign God, it makes the resurrection more plausible. At every step, he was, get this, the same God who had power over the grave. When he was beaten... He was the God of salvation. When he was betrayed, he was the God of the resurrection. 
When he was crucified, he was the creator of the universe. So what can I send you home with? <clears throat> this is the way I was going with it this week in my own life. We should view Holy Week not just in its sorrow and lament. That's certainly part of it, and I don't want to minimize that. There is reflective value in understanding the consequences for our sin. Let me say that very clearly. But we should also see Holy Week in its brilliance and flawless execution. If one thing had gone wrong, the whole thing would have been a disaster. But everything went perfectly according to plan. It was his grand finale of earthly miracles, greater than any others he had done before. Greater than feeding the 5,000, greater than raising Lazarus or Jairus' daughter, greater than all of those things was his execution, his flawless execution of all the events on Holy Week. And so, as I thought all week, how do I just summarize this in one sentence? so that it at least has an impact on how you leave this building. My Jesus wasn't a victim of my sin, but my voluntary sovereign savior from its guilt and penalty. That's who my Jesus was this week. He was my voluntary sovereign savior from the guilt and penalty that I deserved from my sin. And it is the reason that this sovereign God who controlled every event in that horrific week also was the God who controlled the power of life and death. And you know what else he controls? <clears throat> what Al was singing about? Redemption. I'm redeemed. You set me free. I'm a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You know why you can sing that? Because he was the sovereign God in charge of the ultimate sacrifice, the declared blameless lamb of God. Dad, we're so thankful that you are in control. We're so thankful that you are the sovereign creator of the universe. We're so thankful that every aspect of Holy Week went according to plan. Even the most painful parts were by your design, allowed by your authority. We're so thankful, God, for the verse in John where you say, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own choice. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to tape it, take it up again. God, we're so thankful that in a tumultuous week, you maintained control so that we did no longer have to be the victim of our own sin, but you would deliver us from its guilt and penalty. Thank you, Jesus, for not being a victim, but being our Savior. <clears throat> 